0: talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's
1: Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Halloween is this weekend. Don't let COVID-19 scare you into not participating. Grab a jab and a Snickers bar.
2: See you at the door.
1: Here's
3: Scott
2: Thompson.
3: Oh, yeah, baby. Got my jab. Got my Snickers. Now there's a buzz. It's like giving blood, then running around the block. I'm kidding. Uh good afternoon, it's Hamilton today. Halloween edition because it is the weekend. I'm Scott Thompson, Will Weber on the board, uh, Ted Michaels and Diana Weeks in the newsroom and we'll be a bit around the big round table coming up, uh, after the 430 news. Uh, you'll want to, uh, join us for that. It'll be fun to say the least. I understand everybody's in costume. Uh, Ted's dressing up as a, uh, an old news guy that's about to retire. I'm just kidding uh so anyway i hope you join us for the show feel free to jump into the fun uh all halloween edition of an all request friday so if there's something you want to hear are you kidding me no i don't want my ducks cleaned.
4: <laughs> all right
3: where was i uh it's what, this the uh, a caller show <laughs> yeah, really. I'm, I'm sorry will maybe i should have maybe i should have taken the call maybe they had an idea for a great halloween costume uh call the station uh anyway uh where the heck was i uh, we are going to talk about uh, Ted coming up uh, after the 3.30 news. It's another edition of Countdown to Ted. Of course, he is uh, retiring in December, so we'll set you up with that. Also going to introduce you to another small business. Hope you hang around for that. <laughs> Uh, it'll be fun. Uh, Dundas Museum, going to check in with them. And also, uh, trick-or-treating, and this is the uh, poll question of the day. Are you going to do it? Are you going to give out the candy? Are you going to uh, prepare yourself for this and, and be a part of it? Thanksgiving looked okay. We're going to talk to Dr. Ahmad Khalid about all of this and uh, and not only get the lowdown on Halloween, which we all know is pretty, you know, let's be honest, it's common sense like everything else. Also going to ask the doctor about uh, the Nasi recommendations remember them i don't know if we should listen uh nazi recommendations talking about booster so we'll talk about that with the doctor also uh now health canada is saying probably about the end of november before uh health canada approves pfizer for kids 5 to 11 uh the u.s a couple of weeks ahead of us on that because the uh, the info there was submitted a bit earlier than it was to us so uh, they're obviously a bit ahead of us as they always have been through all of this uh, but we should be finding out towards the end of uh, November, uh, it, it should be approved. And then by then, uh, hopefully, uh, protocol everything in place to start getting the kids vaccinated. It looks like through the school system is the best way to do that since they're all there anyway. So again, uh, we'll talk about that with Dr. Cleed coming up, uh, in the first hour of the show. Also, uh, conferences going on, including a G20 in Paris and then the COP 26, which is conference of the parties uh and, and this is obviously the the biggest leaders uh, of 20s 20, 20 biggest leaders uh participating in the G20 who Uh, are discussing world issues, including climate change, which is a large part of that. Uh, the GO, or sorry, the COP26, which is what's happening in Glasgow, has sort of overshadowed what's happening in Rome. And you're saying, Rome? There's something happening in Rome? Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about a political, uh, to a political science professor about what this all means. What happens when all these countries get together and, and participate in, in things like this? Because there's been lots of chatter that this is nothing more than lots of chatter and a place to go out and enjoy some uh, restaurants and then nothing ever gets done uh that's a major concern in all of this also the fact that russia and china uh the biggest two of the biggest polluters are not participating in this and uh and, and really don't. So we're going to talk about that coming up a little later on. Also uh Ted and Diana joining us around the big round table coming up after the 4:30 news. Everybody's talking about this. It's the social event of the broadcast day. Uh and and today we'll talk about the uh poll question of the day, which of course, are you going to give out Halloween candy? Do we have the uh, 61% right now saying yes? which is very odd because there was a poll out uh, earlier in the week or last week, whenever it was, my head's a spin, and it it said that there were more people going out than actually giving out candy, which I don't know, is that what's that going to mean in the street. Uh so we're going to get your take on that. Uh, you know, for in our neighborhood cuz it's kind of older, it's been waning anyway. Uh but we'll see what happens uh this year. And here's uh, another another interesting uh dilemma as we approach Remembrance Day this year. Uh should flags be still at half staff? Remember, after uh, the discovery of uh, the unmarked graves beneath the Kamloops Residential School, uh, flags were lowered to to half-staff, and they've stayed there. Has it lost its luster? Has it lost its meaning? And traditionally, on things like Remembrance Day... Or when there's a, a major loss of some sort, the flags will be lowered. What do we do this Remembrance Day? And is is it time to address this issue and, and then perhaps make some goals and work towards them? Also, uh, in regard to Remembrance Day, Ontario uh, talking about introducing legislation, or introducing legislation, giving the right to workers to allow them to wear a poppy during Remembrance Day. You might remember last year the whole Whole Foods uh, fiasco where they said you're only allowed to wear your uniform which every place like this has they all have their uniforms but they, they weren't allowed to wear a poppy because it, it it. well they weren't allowed to it's not part of the uniform uh there's a law out now in ontario saying if you're a worker and you want to wear a poppy uh go ahead do you agree with that we're going to talk about that and your favorite halloween candy Uh, If if there's any still left in the bowl at this point. Uh, And again, continue to talk about the story in regard and get a a retired political professor's view of the whole flag at half staff as well. And uh, we've certainly heard and talked about this week the Pope uh, and his plans to come to Canada and work towards... Uh, uh, truth and reconciliation with the indigenous communities. Lots have talked about what that will mean. We're going to get, uh, an indigenous community perspective and what they perhaps are looking for out of all of this. And gonna talk to Carmi Levy. I love talking to Carmi. Uh, he's always got a great take on everything tech, including what's happening with Meta and Zuckerberg and the Facebook and oh yeah, Donald Trump's. Social media empire too. Is, is, is that in the works? Is that going to happen? It's all happening on an all request Friday Halloween edition of Hamilton today.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
3: All right, it is the time of the show when we focus on a small business in the area. And in this case, uh, something that uh, we should all be a part of is our civic duty. And to me, I was never interested in history as a kid until I was introduced to a local museum, because then it started to make sense for me uh, and opened up a whole new world. In this case, we're talking about the Dundas Museum, which has been operating over 65 years, offers community events, education programs, uh, historical book club, all kinds of neat stuff. Let's bring in Kevin Putister, curator and general manager of the Dundas Museum and Archives, 139 Park Street West in the beautiful uh, town of Dundas and is with us now. Kevin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Well, thank you very much. Doing very well. Appreciate you having me so i uh, first of all give us a little uh give us a little highlight of what is uh, offered by the dundas museum uh especially during a you know a post-covid or a covid world and uh, and how you've been coping getting through this pandemic
5: exactly yeah um so we uh, we reopened when we could uh, when the regulations allowed for museums to reopen um and uh uh, understandably, uh, you know, going out to your community museum might not be on the high priority list if we're we're following all of our regulations these days. But we have seen some visitors return to our space, and, and we're eager to see more. Um, we've got a brand new exhibition titled "All Roads Lead to Dundas," which is on in our feature gallery until uh, January 15th, and it's kind of a, an interesting look at our um, our fantastic archives and uh, artifact collection as it relates to world events and and locations and how those locations um, all seem to lead back to Dundas. Um, Coping with uh, a post or or hopefully soon to be post COVID world, we're offering uh, a full slate of virtual education program opportunities for students in the area. Um, Our education programs are offered for free and uh, folks interested in that can check out our website dundasmuseum.ca for more details, um, those schools, uh, most schools aren't able to attend in person, but those cool schools who are able to, we have been offering in person opportunities as well.
3: I, I gave a little uh, story of my first experience and, and actually remember taking a local history course in, a, in high school, and I think about grade 10 or so, and it really opened my eyes because it helped a younger person relate to history. Do you find that with kids or students that, you know, if you can if you can relate something to them in their own area and what's around them, it opens up a whole new door?
5: I, I think that's exactly right, um, especially here at the Dundas Museum when when students come through the doors, They'll instantly be greeted with, you know, visuals that they know. Um, their, you know, their their downtowns, uh, some of the homes in their neighborhood, uh, history about their school, and it connects um, connects them to to the story of this place that has been yeah. going on for for eons. But um, but that they're a part of that story is very important.
3: Uh, we've certainly seen, uh, in a, po- in a pandemic world, uh, the need to shop local and it-, it seems communities, town cities, whatever have embraced that and supported local and, and such. Do you see the same shop local? Do they now begin to learn local, have more of an interest in this sort of thing?
5: I certainly hope so. Um, we, we have seen a bit of an uptick, uh, certainly in our online presence, folks are doing, uh, research. People are interested in looking at at the history of the town, looking at images of, of the past, and, and um, also during the pandemic, a lot of people started looking at their own fam- excuse me family histories, and we've got a phenomenal resource here in our reference room um, connecting to uh, many, many local families
3: in the area. And what about Halloween? What does that add mm-hmm. to the museum?
5: Well, this year is the return of our ghost tours. We tried them for the first time last year. Uh, it was seen as a safe opportunity to host an event during COVID, which there weren't very many opportunities for us last year to do that, so we were excited about that. Uh, it's supported in part by um, the Dugger Community Fund, which is part of the Hamilton Community Foundation, and uh, we've sold over 100 t- tickets to these uh, tours. Um, they're sold out, unfortunately, for those hearing about them tonight. Uh, I'll be hosting one tonight, uh, rain or not, which it sounds like it's going to be rain. but uh, that, all
3: add, that all adds to the atmosphere if there's a yes, light rain. <laughs>
5: I suppose, yeah. We're going to have lots of atmosphere all over everything. But uh, um, our, our tour guide, though, is, uh, is local historian uh, Stan Nowak. He's a great friend of the museum. He's uh, super passionate about local history and, uh, and, and leads a really fantastic tour He's also very excited about ghost stories, which um, he's, he's keen to be sharing on these
3: tours uh, as we go through town. I'm, giving, I'm getting goosebumps here just listening to this, Kevin. <laughs> so uh, give us a little bit of an example. So people want to get involved in this maybe next year. Well, give us an example of what these may be like.
5: Sure. Um, so last year's tour, uh, they, they meet up, we meet up at the museum at uh, 7 o'clock at night. So this time of year, fairly dark. And uh, last year we headed uh, downtown and made a turn, ended up at Grove Cemetery this year. Uh, this year's tour is uh, heading through mostly residential area north um, and then uh, west to Dundas District High School, which is now um, Luxury Lofts at the top end of town. Um, and all along the way, Stan will be sharing some stories uh, of Dundas's past and, and some of the, the spookier things he's learned doing his research. Um, and of course, on these tours, folks are uh, always welcome to share their own stories. And one story we've heard, uh, if I if I might, uh, plenty of times throughout the years, is of um, custodian Russell Flat at the Dundas uh, High School, which was later called District. <laughs> um, apparently, uh, allegedly, I, I'm supposed to say, uh, five custodians at the school have made a pact that the first to pass away would uh, agreed to haunt the school. Um, and Russell was apparently the practical joker in the group, but he also lost that bet as uh, he I, has said to have passed away in the school of a uh, heart attack. Um, later, uh, there have been many eyewitness accounts of Russell by uh, other custodians and former students. Uh, of Many grads over the years I've spoken to have also told me stories. And reports include uh, hallways being mopped while a janitor was on break, lockers rattling, the jingling of keys, squeaky wheels, a mop bucket, all sorts of things. Um, and he's said to have inhabited the auditorium, which would have been a fairly dark space but also be seen in some of the front windows of the uh, of the old high school.
3: So, uh, You pretty, know pretty what? As soon as you mentioned the high school, Kevin, it was funny. And then, of course, it's now since been turned into condos and such. But the first mm. thing I thought of was like The Shining or something, like <laughs> a great set for a horror movie prior to all of that. Uh, what a great story and, and, and some great local history and all the more reason to be involved in your local museums. Uh, great story, Kevin. Kevin Puttister is with us, curator and general manager, Dundas Museum and Archives, located 139 Park Street West in Dundas, and this is just Halloween. Check them out the other uh, 11 months of the year as well. Kevin, thanks for the time. Be well. Good luck with all this. Thanks so much, Scott. I appreciate it. All right. Halloween coming up this weekend. Obviously, we've been hearing different polling information of whether people are going to participate or not, Uh, and considering we've had a pretty successful Thanksgiving celebration uh, with vaccination and rates continuing to to increase, uh, you have to think outside. We're pretty safe for Halloween. We're going to talk about that and uh, the fact that the uh, FDA has now approved the use of fire in kids 5 to 11 in the U.S. This has just come through this hour. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert. He is with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks, Scott. Happy Halloween to you and all the listeners. Back at you. You know, we've been talking over the, over the years, over the months, and it seems like years, uh, right back at the very beginning, uh, doctor, you were one of the first guests we had on, on all of this. Now, uh, we're talking, and, and it's funny because I think many times when we've been chatting, news has actually broken. And by the time we were finished, something else was the storyline. But mm-hmm. Pfizer, or the FDA announcing, uh, and, and look how far we've come, uh, from what the heck is this to now the FDA announcing that Pfizer, Uh, will be approved uh, in the United States for those 5 to 11. First, your reaction on all of that, and considering how far we've come.
6: I mean, we've gone really far. I mean, the fact that we're talking about children getting vaccinated is a testament to science uh, and the ability of people to leverage scientific breakthroughs to influence policy on a national level. So this is great news all around, and I think that we're going to see Canada doing the same thing shortly after the FDA has approved it. Uh, I think Canada is currently reviewing that evidence, Health Canada specifically, and that we won't be, uh, you know, we're not far away from actually doing the same thing here in Canada.
3: So I had heard earlier Health Canada say something uh, in and around the end of November. Does that sound uh, where you are as well or what you're hearing?
6: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be most likely mid-November that we will hear from Health Canada uh, with the confirmation this is the way they're going to move forward.
3: Uh, this is a different um, uh, formula, less of whatever kids dose. Are we expecting any shortages of this, doctor?
6: Not, we're not expecting any shortages. It's going to be the same formula, just less dosage. Right. Uh, so that what they're playing with is, is do- how much they're giving the children in terms of dosage as opposed to adults. But it's going to be the same formula as we, you and I have had in other adults.
3: And we're also hearing information today from Nassi in regard to boosters and where we should go moving forward with that. Can you expand on that?
6: Yeah, I think that boosters is going to be the current conversation. And I suspect you and I will be talking a lot about boosters in the next coming months. Uh, We're looking at other countries, Scott, and we know that boosters are becoming the mainstay. The reason why Canada has taken more of a slow progression towards that is because we didn't really see the need for it. Uh, And I think right now the focus is on the children to make sure that they're vaccinated uh, and that, you know, we are already providing booster shots to the immunocompromised and the elderly here in Canada. The question is going to become is, do we actually implement it on a wide scale? Given how other countries are handling it, most likely we're going to be heading to a place where you and I will be having to get a third shot or a booster shot of the vaccine at some point. When that will happen is not yet clear.
3: Uh, Dr. Tam was saying today uh, we don't need that at this point. When will we know? How do they know when, okay, it's time?
6: I think when the the case numbers become higher uh, or that there's a concern of outbreaks that happen within certain communities or settings. Uh, or, or lastly, if there's a variant that's out of control. And so none of those three case scenarios has happened yet. And I think this is probably why Dr. Teresa Tam has said, at this time, we're not looking at it. doesn't mean that this is not going to happen in the future.
3: Uh, again, like we have with all different age groups, uh, there is some hesitancy. Are you expecting more in children 5 to 11, uh, more hesitancy? Or uh, on the other hand, we're hearing people that are excited to get be getting it and move on.
6: I think it would be very naive to think that there's not going to be hesitancy among parents to vaccinate their children. I think we are anticipating for that hesitancy, uh, primarily because I think some parents feel like that they're not sure how safe the vaccine is in children. We saw a similar hesitancy with adults at the beginning of the vaccine rollout plans, And it took some time and education and experts to speak repeatedly on different channels and platforms about the safety of the vaccine. And we expect the same trend to happen with children now.
3: Uh, obviously we made it through vaccine as as you and I have talked many times uh, over the months it's usually a few weeks after a holiday season that there's an issue clearly that didn't happen as vaccine rates continue to grow what are you anticipating for Halloween what advice do you have for parents
6: I would give the same advice I gave last year it's crazy to think that a year has passed since the last Mm. Halloween but I mean the difference this year is that children uh, are more likely to be engaging in Halloween activities as last year if you remember last year it was it was more like stay home and never leave the house. Yeah. This year is it, it's, it's, the preference is for you to stay home, but we I also realize that that's not realistic anymore. That you know, parents are excited for the children to go out and trick or treating. So if you are doing that, please make sure that your child has a face covering on top of their costume. Try to refrain from you know shouting or screaming because. We know that the virus spreads through aerosols, and so we want to be as safe as possible. And a great little tip uh, is get a, a hand sanitizer that can be attached to the child's costume and keep encouraging to hand sanitize whenever possible. I think those are practical strategies that can minimize the risk of transmission.
3: Do you think for the most part it is safe then? I mean, even though kids aren't, uh, aren't vaccinated yet, the rest of us are, bizarre. is it safe?
6: I think if they continue to practice safe hygiene, which is that you know, keep distancing between yeah. the children, keep wearing a face mask, keep a uh, uh, hand sanitizer uh, handy with them the, the whole entire time. I think they can practice it within safe uh, measures and also keeping a close eye on the child if he develops any symptoms or they are, they're in close contact with anybody that might be suspected of having the virus. I mean, there's no magic bullet. There's no one way to do this. The safest way to do this is not to trick and treat. Um, however, I'm not sure how realistic that is given the current reality.
3: I wanted to ask you before I leave you, Doctor, uh, what about the flu shot? Remember uh, last year many thought it was going to be uh, an out of hand flu shot, but because of the protocol, I guess it was better than usual. However, we are starting to see it this year, uh, more people with colds and such. What's your advice on the flu shot this year?
6: I would say get it because uh, you know we know the flu shot is safe and we know that it helps to reduce the, the incidence rate or the case numbers of flu every year. I think now now more than ever, because we are going to increase capacity, people are hanging more in close proximity, uh, and people might be a little bit more relaxed with the face mask, is, is really an important time for you to get the flu vaccine, especially if you're immunocompromised.
3: Dr. Ahmad Khalid with his health policy expert. Doctor, as always thanks so much for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. Same to you, and happy Halloween. Take care.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
3: All right, lots going on in the world on the uh, on the global front, uh, obviously uh, involving climate change and just Uh, the state of the world Uh, there's a couple of issues a couple of meetings going on summits if you want g g20 summit in rome and also uh, the cop26 which is the conference of the parties which uh, is in glasgow to talk more about all of this arl brown is with us professor of international relations and he's senior member of the monk school of global affairs at the university of toronto and with us now arl thank you for the time i hope you're doing well Uh, thank you uh, initially, it seems as if we're hearing about more that was going on in Glasgow, uh, Glasgow than what is going on in Rome. So uh, let's start with a G20 summit and, and go through each one individually and their importance of bringing all of these people together.
7: Obviously, there's a great deal to talk about at both summits. In the case of the G20, uh, it is COVID, it is the economy, it is the environment, uh, making progress, however, is going to be rather difficult. Uh, President Biden is in Rome, but President Xi of China and President Putin of Russia are not there. And uh, that tells you how the G20, in a sense, has been weakened by the absence. F- so even though these issues will f- uh, figure very prominently, there's not a great deal of optimism that they will be addressed in an effective way at Rome. There is somewhat more hope in the case of the COP26, the conference, uh, United Nations Climate Change Conference, about 20,000 people who will turn up, um, because there's also a kind of urgency in uh, the threat that the climate change is posing. But again, we need to be both cautious and realistic as to what expectations are and what is likely to uh, be achieved.
3: Will there be a different tone at each one of these summits and is that all depending on the attendance, who is there and who is not?
7: There will be a different tone in the sense that there's less direct uh, kind of conflict or uh, certainly not confrontation uh uh it would be unlikely in Glasgow for the C O P twenty six because everyone is basically in terms of understanding uh, is telling us that yes uh we need to address climate change and people out on, on board. Whereas in Rome there are certain economic issues, there are matters let's say dealing with mm-hmm. Afghanistan that maybe
3: more did we lose oh, oh so sorry you broke up just a little bit there, Oral, if you could repeat what you said.
7: Uh, well, there seems to be uh, a great deal more consensus in the case of uh, uh, of uh, uh, Glasgow than there is in the case of Rome, because the issues, at least on the surface, seem virtual. This is not to say is uh, going to be much more favorable. We'll, we'll have to see.
3: And you, you talked about China and, and Russia not being involved. Uh, again, give us a bit of context there in the sense that a lot, of, a lot of effort is put into these. There's a lot of chatter, but not a lot comes out of it because someone is there or is not there or people cannot agree. So to give us a little bit of context on China and Russia not being there, what that means.
7: It's not that China and Russia are not involved, but that they did not deem this to be, in the case of Rome, and also in the case of Glasgow, sufficiently important that the leaders would be there in person. Xi is likely to participate by video, but that's not the same thing. We know that at these conferences the chemistry is very important. There's a reason why leaders participate in person because they that you simply cannot do through uh, online conferencing or by sending the subordinates and so there's both symbolism and substance in the fact that uh, two countries, uh, Russia and China, that are both very heavy polluters when we look at Glasgow and the countries that are also to I word. think we lost.
3: Let me ask you this, Arl, because you're breaking up a little bit. Um, what Sorry. is China and Russia's uh, take on climate change what's their attitude because we've heard sort of conflicting reports coming out of china in the sense that they they understand it now they're trying to work towards that and yet on the other hand we're hearing uh, uh you know doubling down on coal so what are uh, specifically china and russia and you can include india too what is their take on climate change is it is it that much different from everybody else is it a different approach or just denial in terms
7: of rhetoric, all on board. They are saying the right things. They agree with the danger of climate change. They want to save the world. And in reality, they're doing everything that is causing an enormous amount of harm. Uh, China is by far the largest polluter in the world. At least 28% are coming from China. Russia is supposed to have 5%, but I suspect it's significantly higher. India is around 7%, so collectively, they're close to half of the emissions in the, in the world. And China uh, is going to be increasing emissions until about uh, 2030, and that's when they are going to start to move, and by 2060, they claim they will get to carbon neutrality, but uh, there's a great deal of doubt about that. They want to preserve their industries. They have uh, a vested interest in uh, producing more and more energy. Uh, Russia is an energy state. Over 60% of Russia's exports consist of hydrocarbons, and they continue an all-out pace of exploration maximize exploration in one of the most fragile areas of the world, the Arctic. Uh, the Western countries have uh, stopped exploration by and large uh, in the Arctic. Russia's moving ahead. They're pumping uh, oil and uh They're building pipelines. They're building pipelines to Europe. And they are using it for geopolitical purposes. So at one uh, climate change danger, which is urgent, which is major, which is real, and then you have with the geopolitical reality that China wants to be the preeminent global power, and Russia has superpower restoration fantasies, and so both of them will things, but their policies do not reflect anything even remotely addressing climate change very. China and coal, coal. Um, in Russia, they are pushing nuclear energy. They claim that uh, that is clean energy. They want that, that to be counted as green energy. Uh, Germany has closed down its nuclear plants. So look at the contrast uh, mm. between that. And there are also, frankly, is that in some ways are responsible for partly of what's happening in China, and if I may just explain, uh, um, let me give you I, I've let got to cut
3: you off there, Arl, because uh, we're, we're just, the signal, we're just losing you here. Arl Brown with us, Professor of International Relations and a senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. Uh, Diana Weeks, Ted Michaels in the newsroom, joining us around the big round table. Will Weber with us as well. And that is for you, Diana Weeks, the Purple People Eater. The song that you requested for would be our top hour uh, tune earlier on in the week, and we shut you down.
2: No, it's okay. That so was nice go. to hear it, though. Thank you.
3: Uh, from the night. 1960s or something where they did all these sheb, novelty songs sheb woolly
1: ladies and gentlemen
3: <laughs> i cannot believe you know this stuff sheb woolly because i
1: was alive when the song came out
3: and uh not me and and so <laughs> what was uh sheb woolly do you know the year
1: uh okay i uh, i'm not googling uh let uh, this is uh off the top of my head 1962 I'm hearing somebody on a keyboard. What do you mean me. you're not. Oh, you're not. That no, was me. I'm not. Sorry. Not that saying. wasn't.
3: That was just me. <laughs> See? All right. You're, look, Diana's getting verification. She's checking you as you're speaking. <laughs> I'm Ted's so fact checker. So what is it? Do you have it? And do you have
2: it? No, I wasn't. I was typing.
1: Oh,
3: a- oh she's actually doing her work.
1: I <laughs> know. <laughs> I'm done now. <laughs> Here we are, all goofing okay. off, and it's actually <laughs> Diana
4: while
3: now, following okay. the news. That's good to hear. <laughs> now
1: I will check because I don't know if she. Oh, uh, the All right. people leader, Sheb Woolley. Sheb
4: Woolley, <laughs> 1958.
1: There we go. come Oh, ever in. yes. Ooh, yes. Boy. See, oh, boy.
4: Uh, it was your
3: era, not mine. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's start with the big round table. Uh, the Twitter poll question of the day. Are you going to pr- uh, participate? Are you giving out Halloween candy this year? Uh, the majority, 61% at this point, saying yes. Let's go around the big round table. Uh, start with you, Diana. What are you thinking? Are you, You're you're in. You're in full, uh, full speed. Are you not?
2: Oh, yes. Totally. I've love giving out Halloween candy. Last year, uh, with the precautions, my husband and I had a little table set up on the driveway. Um, ah. Yeah, and uh, we bundled up. And then we, had a, we, have, we get a lot of kids in our neighborhood, like lots of kids, even last year. So I got to make sure that uh, i got enough but I, I think i do i've got a couple wow boxes.
3: that's great mm-hmm. that's good i had i had like a box that cross-country skis came in and i was using that as a chute from the top of the stairs down and that worked pretty cool too but yeah we're not getting
1: as many kids because i think our neighborhood's turned over but anyway uh Tad, you want to weigh in on this uh actually i'm curious off the top of my head if people are going to continue to use that shoot like my next door yeah. neighbor last year it was brilliant i stood and i said you know so I basically wanted a chocolate bar anyway, but he took it and he sh Put it down to shoot and show me how it worked, and I was howling because it was so efficient. So
3: I may, I'm amazed you could see that from behind the couch <laughs> with the curtains drawn. <laughs> see,
1: see, see, <laughs> see, <laughs> All right. see? Uh, so. Uh, so yes, however, however, I'll probably close the door if I get annoyed at about 7:30. Close the door, shut off the lights.
2: So <laughs> a funny story here, just really quick. Um, a couple years ago, when I was working at CHCH News as a t- as a reporter there, yeah. I covered a story at the Mondelez factory, Mondelez I can't pronounce it, but anyways they're they're the maker of all like fuzzy peaches, sour keys, like oh, tons yeah. of chocolate. so when you go there uh to do a story, apparently they are very you know lenient. They give you a bag, you load them up. This was right before Halloween. I did this sure. story, right. I gave out full-sized chocolate bars that year, full size packs of fuzzy peaches. I am so surprised the next year I didn't get egged because they're all like, go to her house, go to her house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. So you were talking about right, those, those really, really huge big ones. Well,
2: those. no, just like regular size oh, okay. things, right, yeah, you know, yeah, as yeah. opposed to the wow. minis. Yeah. yeah,
3: the little wee things. Okay. Holy smokes. Did you get kids coming in two or three times? That's what I'm guessing. Circle I back did. Around, to and Diana's. I was on
2: to them, though. I was on to them. I'm like, <laughs> no, you already came around.
4: Will, do you hand out? Oh, every single year. I bought a few boxes for this year as well, and we are all set.
3: You know, usually by this time of the year, we're working on our fourth or fifth box before the kids have even arrived. And my <laughs> wife was late, which, my wife was late this year, which is great because they've just arrived today and I haven't even had one yet. Um, but yeah, do you have a tendency to, to start shoveling it into the, into the mouth the week before it arrives? <sighs>
4: I've been trying not to. I've yeah, been trying yeah, yeah. to eat vegetables every time I get the urge. <laughs> well, I don't say you
3: have to go to the opposite extreme, Well, Just back off on the candy. You don't have to go begging on us. All right. Uh, should flags be at half-staff? This is an interesting debate, which we're going to hear more of as Remembrance Day arrives, because normally they are lowered to half-staff at Remembrance Day. Of course, they've been at half-staff because of the residential school scenario. It's odd that the Conservatives said that uh, with Truth and Reconciliation Day that they would raise the flags. That was, um, you know, that was condemned by our prime minister who then went on to miss Truth and Reconciliation Day. I think they're still at half staff because he missed his day. Uh, what are your thoughts on the flag? Let's start with you, Ted. Uh,
1: p- My only uh, question is that there are times when I'm driving past a business and I see that the flags are are lower for obviously a good reason. But there's sometimes I forget why they're lower, why they're at half staff. So, I mean, if if that's why they're still at half staff because of what happened with the truth and reconciliation and those horrific stories, then, yeah, let's keep them where they are. But just sometimes I forget why. That's all.
3: Interesting point, Diana. Does this lose its meaning the longer this goes? I mean, the whole idea is the flags are lowered for a certain period of time and then they're raised back up. Uh, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, yeah, I think it just loses its, its significance and yeah. the impact. You know, when a flag is at half staff, half mast, you know, you, you see it and you you recognize what it's for but when it's down all the time i think it does lose significance and i mean my question is for our veterans on november 11th uh, are we going to raise it back up and then raise it back down at 11 o'clock like it's it's just yeah. or do we just keep it down it's i understand why it's being done and it absolutely needed to be done i just don't know if doing it constantly now is the the thing. prime
3: minister said that they won't be raised until things are fixed. And with all due respect to everybody, oh, yep. they're going to be down forever then, considering past history. Let's be honest here. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this, Will? Uh,
4: I understand it's, it's... the extended lowering of the flags to the extent of... We've made our point and we are moving forward. I feel as though once he announced the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, perhaps we should have lifted the flags back up.
3: Interesting point. All right. Uh, On Remembrance Day, you might remember last year, Whole Foods got in a big uh, brouhaha. They told their employees they're not part of the uniform, so you can't wear a poppy. Ontario government is now introducing legislation that gives workers the right to wear a poppy during Remembrance Day. Uh, Agree with this? Is this a no-brainer and just bad PR for Whole Foods, uh, Ted, you want to start?
1: I'm. Um, uh, isn't it sad that we now have to have legislation that gives people the opportunity to to wear a poppy? You Great know, point. This this. <laughs> You know, not that many years ago, there was never an issue in this. And all of a sudden now, like, the government is legislating. So now, you know, people being people, and I'm not saying this is my side because it's not. But now I can hear people on the other side say, well, how dare the government tell me what or what not to do? So Mm. we're going down a slippery slope as far as legislation with the government. Let's just put them on and let's not look for reasons to complain about
3: it. Not make it political. Good point. Diana?
2: Yeah, I agree with Ted there. I think it's a, a sad state of affairs when, you know, you have to legislate someone into wearing a symbol that represents, you know, um, freedoms in this country and and for our our veterans, you know. Um, I don't think it's fair at all.
4: Will, your thoughts? It was just absurd to begin with because they construed it as you can't have political messages or something if memory yes, serves. Yes,
3: you're right. And then it became, it wasn't part of the uh, uniform, which was sort of a, you know, um, I, I guess say uh, a boomerang, a swing back. So, yeah, good point. All right. I only got a minute or so left. Uh, what is your favorite Halloween treat? The best thing you could ever possibly get on Halloween or raid at your uh, front door?
1: Ted? Pro- I I love chocolate bars, and I love those little bags of chips, which are not, not good for me, but, uh, boy, I could scarf those things down to the, you know, tomorrow. Yeah. And not, and not feel, well, I mean, I'd feel guilty, but I still like them.
2: Diana? Reese's Peanut Butter Cups.
3: Oh, yeah. What about the pieces? Do you like the
4: pieces, too?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll take the pieces, but definitely the cups. <laughs> Will? Ah, oh,
4: has to be those tiny little packages of nibs. Oh, really? 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 I love the nibs.
1: I love them. There's a whole They're bowl full of rockets uh, by the, in the kitchen. Nobody's touched them yet. That's because rockets... rockets are
4: disgusting.
1: Rockets are from like, <laughs> like the
3: 1930s, aren't they? What's with that? All right, crispy, crump, uh, crispy crunch, and a big uh, glass of milk for me. That'll do it. All right, Ooh. thank you, crew, and uh, happy Halloween to everybody. You're
0: listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
3: All right, we were just talking uh, in the roundtable about. Uh, The flag and the Canadian flags have been at uh, half staff uh, since the discovery uh, underneath the Kamloops Residential School uh, of unmarked graves and such. And there was lots of chatter uh, during the election about when the flag should be raised. Uh, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole said they should be raised on Truth and Reconciliation Day as a sign we're committed uh, to all of this. And, and uh, of course, the prime minister didn't even show up for Truth and Reconciliation, which is, I think, one of the reasons the flags are still uh, where they are. But at the end of the day, what do you do uh, now with other significant events that would have normally seen the flag being lowered? Whether that's uh, a prominent death of a Canadian, uh, a death of a prominent Canadian, whether that's uh, Remembrance Day services or what have you. Let's bring in Peter Wollstonecroft, retired professor of political science and with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you very much, Scott, and you too. Obviously, this is a very contentious debate depending on what side you're on. How do you feel about the, the raising of the flag, the lowering of the flag to have staff and, and where we are with Remembrance Day?
8: Well, Remembrance Day is going to be a problem, and it's not that far away. In fact, I got my poppies in the mail today, so that's a sign. Uh, what happens in the event of the death of the queen?
3: Wow, there you go. There's a great example.
8: There's, she's 95, and there are some health issues, obviously, because she's uh, being told to stay at home and rest. And uh, And so what happens? And when I'm now looking at the page and it's a lengthy discussion about uh, the, uh, the the half-master, half-staff. And, uh, you know, the first thing that is mentioned is the death of the sovereign. So when the Queen of Canada dies, the flag is lowered. Uh, if it's already lowered, that's awkward. Uh, and Remembrance Day will be awkward. That's very important to people. and There are a number of stories in the media. I thought well-placed stories uh, within the context of what we're talking about, uh, of, by original uh, Indigenous people whose uh, ancestors had fought on behalf of Canada in World War One and World War Two, and they take uh, with those lives lost, they take Remembrance Day very importantly. And as I read these stories, the upshot was the flag should be up and then lowered um, on the appropriate day on Remembrance Day, or in the event of the of the monarch's death. Um, And so it, you know, to put it lightly, I'll I'll say that uh, uh, Ottawa will have to raise the flag, and then lower it. Uh, So this is a double dipping.
3: Isn't that insulting though to the indigenous community that you initially lowered it for? I mean, there was a perfect uh, solution when Aaron O'Toole said raise it during the very first truth and reconciliation uh day as a as a sign of commitment to truth and reconciliation. That obviously didn't happen, and I'm thinking now that the prime minister has missed truth and reconciliation if he's keeping them down uh longer to make up for what he did as opposed to what the country has done.
8: Well, he can't avoid the uh, a big problem, a big public relations problem and you, you you can't mess up your symbols. You've got to get it right. Symbols are important to people. There are some people who don't care a fig for this, or a fig leaf, if you will. Um, but other people uh, take the flag, and I'm one of them to take the flag to be very important. And they, their rituals of society uh, are important. So Remembrance Day is important to, to me and to others. Uh, and and we mourn and lament and those kinds of things, and we should be doing that. And so um, Trudeau missed an opportunity, and he had some discretionary powers in, in this regard, But, and I assume he was given adv- advice that you should lower it for a period, and maybe the month of June would have been fine. Or even raise it when he did his apology. Yeah, I mean, he had opportunities, and so here we are uh, almost at November, and not too far from November the 11th, and it, it, it. it so... If the flag before it can be lowered, it has to be raised, and yeah. whatever he, whatever he does, whatever he decides to do, is kind of messy. So, so often is the case with the prime minister, his his reach uh, exceeds his grasp, and uh, hmm. he creates a problem, an optical issue for him, uh, and and for the government of Canada and more broadly our society by. By not handling the flag issue well, I, I, I'm one of those people. said I think it was perfectly appropriate, uh, and it's certainly within the prime minister's discretion to lower the flag at the time when when the residential school graves uh, being discovered uh, was was known, and, and and we could have lowered them for uh, uh, an extended period, even a month. But now we're going on, and there's 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 no at least we're not told of any template as to what's going to be done.
3: But he has said he won't raise them until the problem is fixed. Well, with all well, due respect to everybody involved, that's going to take another hundred years. Uh,
8: yeah, and, and and how long is this going to go on? So this is what I mean, but it's reach exceeds his grasp. Because somebody did not penetrate his thinking about the the une- unexpected complexities of a simple matter of, of lowering the flag. So uh, it's, it's, it's not a big mess. But it is messy, I'll put it that way. And uh, another so, lack
3: of uh judgment. It just it just well, seems being one thing after the other, Peter.
8: Uh yeah. And I mean you, you take the we have this uh um Truth and Reconciliation Day and he flies over the yeah. country to go to a lovely part of the country, no doubt about it, but uh, nonetheless uh he didn't partake in it as Prime Minister. And it's not good enough to say, oh, the night before I had phone calls with a few people, because b- because the coming together, the reconciliation, or as some yeah. people say conciliation, uh, process requires uh, communal events. It requires a lot of discussion. Yeah. People have to understand. And, and uh, I mean, I, I have lots of evidence of the failure of historians and other people, including political scientists, to to understand or even know about what was going on. But the, the, the fact of the matter is that the Canadian government in many ways was oblivious uh, yeah, what was going on. So there's
3: Peter many- Croft. I've got got to cut you off right there because yeah, we're out of yeah, time, yeah. sorry. Peter Wolstencroft with us, retired professor of political science, talking about Remembrance Day approaching and the flags already at half-staff. That discussion will continue. All right, uh, we initially uh, called Dr. Patty Doyle Bedwell, a Native Studies instructor with the Hussie University, to talk about Pope Francis' planned visit to uh, Canada, and we're certainly going to touch on that. But uh, it also appears that uh, New, has broken this afternoon, very late this afternoon at about 4.30 uh, involving uh, the case Ottawa has uh with in regard to compensating uh indigenous children who were taken from their homes and put into the foster care system and we've heard this story and uh for a while now as part of truth and reconciliation yet the government continues to uh fight this case and there everybody was wondering this week whether in fact as this deadline ran down whether they would appeal and they have announced very late this afternoon when everybody's heading home at about 4:30 that yes they will appeal The federal government will appeal a court ruling upholding two orders from the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal for officials to compensate Indigenous children who were removed from their homes and placed into provincial foster care systems where they endured abuse. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has faced growing pressure as the deadline to appeal the federal court ruling ticked down by the hour today, and federal officials gave no indication what decision they would take until uh, less than an hour ago. Advocates for the Indigenous children and for the Indigenous communities have argued the government should not appeal, while Justice Minister David Lametti has said the case is procedurally complicated and aren't they always, and that Ottawa is committed to compensating whether it appeals the specifics of the ruling or not, whatever that means and how that adds to the discussion. Let's bring in Dr. Patty Doyle-Bedwell, Native Studies Instructor with Dalhousie and with us now. Uh, Patty, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well.
9: I'm doing well. Thank you.
3: Uh, Before we get to the issue, uh, yes, thank you so much. Um, Regarding the issue of the Pope, we'll chat about that in a sec, but what are your thoughts about this new information that's coming down about the government will appeal uh, the case involving Indigenous kids and payment?
9: It breaks my heart. I heard that on the news, and I couldn't believe that they were going to pursue it. I just couldn't believe it. Why don't they just pay the compensation?
3: Uh, it appeared their language was kind of softening on this week. Uh, it was softening yeah. on, uh, this week on all of this. Are you surprised by this?
9: Yes, I'm surprised. But then on the other hand, I'm not surprised because they don't want to pay. I'm sure that's what it comes down to.
3: They don't what do you think? Considering uh, where we are in this discussion, whether it's uh, Pope Francis, whether it's Truth and Reconciliation Day that was missed, how is the indigenous community uh, going to react to this? It's pretty obvious, but I'd like to hear your thoughts.
9: Well, I think that the reaction that I've seen um, from some of my friends and what I've seen on social media, the indigenous people are not happy. They're not happy that the government is appealing this decision. You know, and this will go to the Federal Court of Appeal, and then if they lose again, they'll probably take it to the Supreme Court. And what is that what they ultimately want? But it breaks and, my heart.
3: And, and this is all about money for you. That's what yeah, you think this is about. Me,
9: I think it's about money. <laughs> They've been told over the last 10 years, at least, that they had to pay compensation to these kids and foster care, and they haven't wanted to do it.
3: How much do you think this is going to cost the government?
9: Oh my God, it's going to cost millions. Yeah. For all the lawyers, any time you take a court to the—I mean—a trial to the federal court of appeal, you've got. To what about
3: what about the cost of, of of just paying the kids?
9: Well, What's that I price read tag? That it's going to be billions of dollars. Yeah. So they may be saying, "Oh, it's not going to cost us billions to fight it," but. It just flies in the face of reconciliation. And why are we, why does the government still want to hurt our kids?
3: Yeah, it certainly seems like uh, speaking out of both sides of the mouth, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, in regard to uh, the papal visit, which is coming yeah. in the future, we don't have really any details or, or what the agenda is or what he will say. Uh, and I've talked to various religious experts about that, and it was quite vague, and many saying that they've already apologized, to which I've stated to them, well, clearly not enough. What is the indigenous community looking for from this papal visit?
9: Well, I don't know what the whole Indigenous communities are looking for, but I know that in uh, in Nova Scotia, one of the things that I've heard from some of the elders is that they want an apology from the Pope. They want a heartfelt apology for what happened and to take responsibility for what they did.
8: Will and that be enough?
9: Is, no, I don't think it's enough. <laughs> I no. think the Catholic Church has to pay damages here. They're the ones that that helped organize the schools, ran the schools.
3: You know, so it appears to me that the exact same thing that's keeping the Canadian government from solving this issue is the exact same thing that's keeping the Catholic Church from solving this issue, and that is they don't want to pay.
9: That's right, and they will be responsible for a lot of money.
3: Do you think perhaps uh, the government of Canada and the Catholic Church should get together on this and try to come to some sort of uh, at least admission of guilt or what have you? Uh, You know, it seems one is blaming the other.
9: Well, the federal government will say that they didn't run the schools. They just basically got the Catholic Church to run them. And the Catholic Church will say, well, they were just following the orders from the federal government. And yet. We know from the summertime they found all those bodies. Now, with seven thousand, maybe twenty thousand kids died. Who's responsible for that? The Catholic Church is responsible for that, as well as the federal government.
3: I want uh, before I let you go, Doctor. I want to I want to get your take on uh, the debate around the flags being at half staff. Um, many are wondering now what's going to happen with Remembrance Day. Um, it, 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 the significance of the flags being at half staff for the indigenous community. Uh, the federal government, uh, sorry, the federal conservatives uh, suggested that a Truth and Reconciliation Day, that the flag be raised, and then as another commitment, whether that works or not. Uh, and we all know what happened with the prime minister completely missing the day. What should we be doing right. with the flags?
9: I think they should stay at half mass.
3: Right That's through Remembrance my, Day
9: right through yeah
3: yeah when should they be I raised? Really when should they be raised, Patty?
9: I think they should be raised when the federal government actually implements the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and takes responsibility for what happened and when the Catholic Church takes responsibility for what happened.
3: Do you think that will happen?
9: No do you think we'll see those soon. do you think
3: we'll see those flags raised again anytime soon?
9: Not anytime soon, no.
3: Fascinating, Dr. Patty. Still fighting. Sorry, go ahead.
9: I said they're still fighting.
3: Yeah. Dr. Patty Doyle-Bedwell with his Native Studies instructor with Dalhousie University talking about various uh, Indigenous issues that come to the forefront, including uh, the Pope's visit, including truth and reconciliation with the flag at half-staff, and more importantly, now the government will appeal uh, the case it's been talking about all week in regarding compensation for Indigenous kids. Doctor, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well.
9: Thank you for asking me. You too.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
3: All right. uh, Carmi Levy is going to be joining us, tech analyst, and talk about everything from um, uh, Zuckerberg to Zuckerberg. Uh, And he is with us now. Carmi, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
10: Great to be here, Scott. Thanks Uh, for having
3: me. I've been dying to talk to you about this stuff. Uh, (laughs) First of all, what is the metaverse? Is this just sort of like a 5G version of what we have? So just bigger, better, harder, faster.
10: Yeah, kind of. It's almost like a prettier way to to go online. So instead of, for example, opening up Facebook and scrolling through a two dimensional feed uh, that never ends. You instead put on a pair of VR glasses, a VR headset or augmented reality glasses, and you enter a three dimensional immersive world and you encounter other people who are also in that world, even if they're halfway around the world physically. So, for example, if you want to go shopping in a virtual mall with your friend who lives in Singapore. You just connect on in the metaverse, and you can do it together. Uh, people can take virtual vacations together, have virtual dates together. It's just a richer way of going online, and Facebook is betting that this is what we are going to do after social media ceases to be a thing. In other words, they're preparing for the post-social media world and they're dangling this big, bright, shiny object that's sort of been out there for a while. We've known about the metaverse since it was first published in a sci-fi novel almost 30 years ago. Um, Mm. They're saying they're gonna bring it to life and they're literally gonna build the company around that. Will I hold my breath? No. Would I trust Facebook to do right by us in the metaverse any better than they did in social media? Also, a very hard,
3: That was my next question, uh, Carmi, (laughs) was why would the people, users, customers um, of Facebook think that uh, this new system has somehow a better code of conduct with the people that are running it? What's the difference between the code of conduct of, of the new system compared to the old? It's the same people.
10: Well, I think they're hoping that we'll all be distracted by the bright, shiny object. And if you if you've looked at the video that he would he shared as part of his presentation, it was really slick. And I mean, the production values on that thing were off the charts kind of cheesy, but, you know, a really sort of high tech next generation, uh, you know, post tech view of the world. And so. Basically, he's he's hoping and the company is hoping that we will forget about all those privacy things. We'll forget about all the Cambridge Analytica's and the fact that they ignored warnings about mental health impacts of Instagram on teenage girls. They hope that we'll just basically put the last 10 years of negative headlines, one after the other, behind us. And I think that's what troubles me the most is they obviously put huge resources into this rebranding. Uh, you know, having worked in marketing, I know that it is not a cheap or easy process and they could have taken those resources and directed them toward fixing the culture in there that is completely mm. broken we know it's broken so obviously their priorities in the wrong place they think that they can paint it over but the reality is the structure of that house is still crumbling
3: so i'm seeing the future zoom call Carmi, you know we've all been exposed to those but you put on your headset and the person's actually sitting at your desk you're all right there
10: yeah that's I that's, think that's a bit bizarre of, we'll have yeah, to that's, dress that's up for of- that <laughs> that's kind of what what facebook hopes is that you know if you if you if you look at zoom and microsoft teams and facetime and skype and all the other services that we've been using almost addictively since the pandemic began they all follow the same general paradigm it's a rectangular two-dimensional screen and everyone's got kind of like a headshot through a really lousy webcam. And that's kind of how we've experienced the world for the last 18 months. Facebook is hoping to take that to the next level. And to a certain extent, yeah, at some point we have to get rid of that whole, you know, sort of rectangular webcam way of viewing the world. uh, But do I trust Facebook enough to drive that or should it come from another company or even better number of companies who work together, not for the betterment of themselves, like Facebook operates, But for the betterment of the world, this is something that I think should not be driven by one company, least of all, Facebook.
3: This brings me to my next point, uh, Carmi. Why or how does Mark Zuckerberg think that it's him or why is he convinced it's only him that can provide this next big platform? Where is the next young Mark Zuckerberg out there? Who's to say that this all doesn't become outdated because something even better is coming out there? Why does he have the monopoly on this?
10: See, I think he's scared. And, I, and and I, if you look to, to history, sort of what happens to technology companies when they rise, dominate their generation, and then something better comes along in another market to eclipse them. I think that's what Mark Zuckerberg is afraid of is that they they li- they literally own the social media market today but there are troubling signs that that's not going to continue forever. And so once social media is no longer the darling of the tech set, the thing that where we you and I spend all of our time and advertisers spend all of their money, Facebook is is terrified, deathly afraid of not being relevant in that post-social media world. So that's really what this meta rebrand is all about is trying to position itself and hoping that it'll dominate the metaverse much like it dominated social media. But history is working against them. I think Mark Zuckerberg knows all too well uh, that, that, that that the the landscape of technology companies is littered with companies that simply did not adapt to that new reality and so i you know they can rebrand all they want but i think 10 or 15 years from now we're going to look back at this and go this was an inflection point the beginning of the end of facebook because you're right there is another young mark zuckerberg somewhere someone in a garage likely in silicon valley or maybe even here in southern ontario who is is going to have that next world beating idea and it'll completely out it won't be the better social media it'll outflank social media replace it and Mm. zuckerberg will have nothing to respond with
3: i'm seeing a generational backlash come here because facebook i mean technology everything that's new is old the next day and he's the old guy now Mm uh and at what point will young people say you know what i don't this is like a big brother watching me you you could take this back to you know the old bell days when they controlled everything at what point does the generation uh push this guy out to pasture
10: I think they've already started. If you look at young users today, they're not flocking to Facebook. Sure, they still have their Facebook accounts, but that's not where they're spending all of their time. They're using alternate services like TikTok, um, you know, and Snapchat. And, yeah. you know, like those are still growing. And though demographically speaking, that's where all the cool kids are hanging out. Facebook is for mom and grandma and grandpa. Uh, And so uh, unfortunately for for Facebook, they know full well that their core product, Facebook.com and the Facebook app, they're not going to recapture the attention of young people. The only way that they're going to get back into those younger demographics is by buying up someone else, which is not really the the, the answer that, that they need. And so I think it's a demographic time bomb. And sooner or later, it's going to blow up. We're already seeing it move in the wrong direction for Facebook. And at some point, they're not going to be able to overcome it. Uh, and I, for one, welcome it. Because, you know, to live in a world where Facebook no longer dominates with the same troubling headlines day after day, I welcome it.
3: Are you surprised he just hasn't cashed out?
10: Yeah, I am. I mean, I think part of it is ego. I think he kind of likes sort of Big being time. that. Yeah. You know, it's it's everyone looks to Mark Zuckerberg and even even in the company, they refer to him deferentially as Mark you know, by the first name. Mm. Uh, I think he wants to be Steve Jobs. He wants to be one of those iconic pillars of Silicon Valley and he has achieved that. Very hard to walk away from that in much the same way as Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, all of these giants of the tech industry. Uh, they could very easily walk away and live on Fiji for all they care, but mm. they, they stick with it and work brutal hours because for them it isn't necessarily about wealth. It's really about changing the world and I think perversely somewhere deep down inside Mark Zuckerberg still believes that he's doing good for the world even though every other piece of evidence suggests otherwise
1: it'll be great to
3: see what the facebook 2 movie comes uh, when it comes out <laughs> what it looks like how this all ends Carmi Levy, with his tech analyst always fun Carmi, thanks so much for the time be well
10: thanks scott see you at the movies
3: let's bring in scott radley host of the scott radley show columnist with your hamilton spectator and with us now scott thanks for the time i hope you're well i am just fine thanks scott uh, I'm, I'm hearing, like, dungeon doors open up behind you. What do you got? Where, are you in a haunted house or something down there? What are you doing?
11: Well, the garage kind of counts as that, but I've moved back into <laughs> the garage. But, uh, yes,
3: it's... Uh, you, you've it, it moved, moved
11: the back... Later.
3: You've moved back into the garage? Is this a permanent thing for you, a winter seasonal thing? I understand. Uh,
11: no, although, no, although we have put, um, a, an elliptical in there for this uh, for this winter with a little heater. So that that is... Um, The goal is to actually use the garage this winter and to actually get some exercise, which will be unusual for me because I've been stagnant for the last 20 months.
3: There you go. And, you know, do you really need a heater? Just work up a sweat in the garage there. You'll be good. You'll be fine.
11: Have you ever been into Costco and you walk past those parabolic heaters that are like a giant barbecue? That's what I've got there. So. I figure that'll if that'll help me either sweat or burst into flames. I'm not sure which one.
3: <laughs> or maybe grab some pork chops and throw it on it. and You can do <laughs> dinner while you're working out for your Ooh, uh, family.
11: Some, ba- some bacon tenting. That's the right. Yes, oh, man, that, That's
3: will uh, work for you man. during the week workout. That's right. Doing a sit up, and every time you come up to your knee, there's a piece <laughs> of bacon there for you. Good for you. All right. Poll question of the day: Are you giving out cali- uh, candy for Halloween? Is the Radley residence open for the for the big day?
11: yes absolutely why wouldn't you
3: well you I mean, know i thought the same thing after last year we did it last year in sort of a modified version with a, a shoot for candy and stuff but i'm thinking we can do the same thing and post uh thanksgiving it seemed to be fine we're all vaccinated mind you the kids aren't but still Um, uh, you know outside i think we're safe
11: i i'm i'm pretty confident that we're not that no one is going to be damaged by leaning in and just dropping a little candy into someone's trick-or-treat bag i mean really it, it's You're right. We've had people over. We've been out in public now. And if you really are scared, wear a mask. I mean, the kids are so uh, wear a mask while you're handing them out, and everyone's fine. I just, uh, I come on, Uh, Scott. When you were a kid, there maybe Christmas would be ahead of this on the pecking order, and maybe your birthday.
3: Mm. But
11: Halloween, like, come on, just yeah,
3: it's a big one.
11: We forget how much this mattered to us and how much time we put in thinking about what costume we were going to have and all the rest. Because we get older and then we go, oh, it's not that. It is to a kid. It's a big deal to a kid still.
3: And even, you know, like my my kid's in grade nine now, so he's not going out. Uh, but at the end of the day, even he's still into it. He's still into decorating the house. He's still, you know, even though he's not going out and doing it, he still wants to participate. Still into it. I agree with you 100%. All right. I wanted to chat with you on this. And because Remembrance Day is uh, coming uh, next month, obviously, very very soon, and the flags are still at half-staff because yeah. of the truth and reconciliation uh, and the discovery of, of uh, the unmarked graves in Kamloops and such, Uh, The leader of the opposition, Aaron O'Toole, said way back when, before the election, uh, that he would raise the flags back up on Truth and Reconciliation Day uh, as a a symbol of, of, of moving forward with Truth and Reconciliation. We all know what happened with the prime minister. He didn't even show up for the day. Uh, so now I'm getting the feeling this is dragging on because he has set himself back. Uh, so what, what, what do you think should happen here? How, and how do we tackle Rem- Remembrance Day? Do we raise the flags and lower them back down again, or we just leave them? They're already down, so what's the big deal?
11: Well, if you don't raise them, then you can't do what we've always done, which is to lower them on Remembrance Day, which I think would be an absolute disgraceful slap to our veterans. It would be outrageous that that be the case. And quite frankly, I I echo what you just said. Um, I I think the flags have been up long before now. And we're at the point where um, truly, I I really believe that the fact that they're still down is nothing more than performance. It's performance art by the, by the government, because, you know, we're going to, we haven't done anything on reconciliation, but we'll have the flags down to show that we're serious about it. I, I, and obviously
3: I, I, the Prime Minister shot himself in the foot by not attending course. his very first Truth and Reconciliation, and I think that's all part of this. And it's, it's stop dragging the country into your mistakes.
11: I, I am not an indigenous person, but I would bet that if I was to talk to a hundred of them who are concerned with reconciliation, they would be far more interested in having something done than to have the flag stay at half-mast.
3: Agree. Who's on the show tonight? What do you want to talk about? Promote?
11: Uh, well, we're having Bob Cowan from CHCH Morning Live is on for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. That's what we call it on Fridays. We're doing all kinds of topics from the week, and then music from Halloween was on when I came in at seven thirty tonight. If anyone has not done the screen test or taken the screen test, tune in at seven thirty for that. We'll be uh, we'll be doing that one at seven thirty this evening.
3: All right, Scott Radley, show tonight right after the six o'clock news. Also read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Scott. that is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. It's always greatly appreciated. Thanks to Will and Ted and Diana for contributing. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton
0: Today podcast. You can listen to the show live week afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
3: As always, we leave it to you, the good listener, for the last word. I think it's
7: time that the government and the people... Stopped harassing and abusing the 20% or 15% that are not vaccinated. Could be children. That could be people that have proper objections to it for various reasons, medical. And I think it's time that it stopped
0: because it's going too far. 99!